Welcome to Fur What It's Worth. There's your cookie. Have fun. <laughs> An introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom. Wisconsin, Texas. One thing about coming out to a convention on the East Coast. That's not the East Coast. Minnesota is not the East Coast. Oh. Six. That's the number of listeners we have. And now, it's the number of seasons of the show. Pull that record. <laughs> We're done. Aboard. Kicking off season six, here are your two fools, Rue and Tugs. I didn't even put it on here, but I know what's coming next. Or do you? Oh, yeah, I do. Yay! It's season six. We didn't actually end the show. Woohoo! Season six, episode one. I'm on fire. <laughs> you know, I've got to use the Fallout Boy music for that. Okay. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yes. Okay. That's what I thought of. Hi. <laughs> So, Tugs, today, I guess, we're talking about burn furries. Yes. And why are they on fire? We'll figure that out. <laughs> so, so, if you haven't figured it out, I'm Tugs. That's Rue. Yes. Ruchi C. Lexico. I'm going to put... The C is permanent, by the way. It's no, canon. the C needs to go away. I tried to remove it. I but, think it's great. But the C is for cookies, so whatever. It's there forever. You know, they kicked off all the human hosts on Ooh. Sesame Street. Bob I got know. fired. I was so upset. <laughs> They've been with that show for 40 years. For 40 years. That's so much. Thanks, HBO. Joffrey everything. Oh, well, they basically said that, hey, we control our own content, and it wasn't HBO's fault. That's what they tweeted. Yeah, that's nice. I but don't believe it for a second. I don't We either. don't control our own content, but someone else is writing the checks. That think, doesn't work. I think what's happening is they want some newer people to be in there. Bob is an icon. He is. I, actually, I haven't watched Sesame Street for like 20 years, but I remember. I never watched Sesame Street. This isn't a thing for me. You are Sesame Street. Well, you know, but they've been, they've been removing um, people that have been on the show for quite some time. Do you remember that... I don't remember her name. She's the Maria? she's the lady Maria. They removed her like in two thousand. Don't quote me on this, but like two thousand eleven or something like that. I yeah. don't remember. That was the original Dora, right? Like she always came in with like a few Spanish words here and there. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. The she original was the, Dora. The original Maria, Dora. The original Dora. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ray, what have you been up to? Well, I have been up to um, going out with my friends to odd places. We've gone to Antelope Island. We've gone to... Is that why it's on fire? Oh, yes. Totally. Totally. Um, Because I had to go take a, you know, I had to go take a leak, you know. Moving on. Anyways. (laughs) Um, And then we also went up to to, um, Brighton, up to the lake that's up there. And we've been just walking around and um, catching Pokemon. Yay! Um, Pokemon Go has been pretty fun to be able to get out into the community and go to places that we don't normally go to. But I've been enjoying it a lot. And I think that a lot of people in the um, community have been enjoying that as well. Um, One of the funniest things that I've seen so far is... um, There was these two younger kids that were battling this gym. And then this old couple... Um, came around the corner, and they were also playing, and the kids looked up from their phone. They're like, hey, because they just barely took their gym. So I thought that was hilarious. But You're on plus five decibel, man. So you were playing music, and you just did Fire Breath Bumper. 
And so I don't know. Uh, whatever. Thanks, Obama. So anyways, that's what I've been up to. What have you been up to, Mr. Tugs? Uh, I went to Seattle and had a good time last weekend. I rediscovered the joy of basic deli sandwiches. Um, I actually happened to go to the park in Bellevue where everyone was a zombie. That's the name for a Pokemon Go player, by the way. Mm. And people would scream, whatever appeared. And like this mass of people go, it was, <laughs> I, I recorded it. So that was interesting. Yeah, and then the Dragonite appeared and they all started running. Yeah, Dragonite you. appeared right on top of where I was sitting. I was like, ah! And <laughs> they were all around you? They started it, running towards you. know him. how it looked like a stampede was going to kill me? <laughs> um, so there's that. That's I, awesome. <laughs> uh, I found out when I was there that SSX went back comp- backwards compatible with the Xbox One, so I've been replaying that. Woo! I love SSX. Um, and then it downloaded at midnight, but I did get the new Harry Potter. The new Harry Potter? Welcome to Earth. What's that? The new book? There's a new Harry Potter. Oh, the new Harry Potter book. That just came out. At midnight, yeah. So my Kindle has it. Yeah, but that that's a stage play, isn't it? Okay, so it's completely invalid content. No, it's not no, that no, it's sh- invalid. Sh- it's it it's diff- sh- whatever. Relax and let it slide in. <sighs> <laughs> what? I think it's perfectly legitimate to say that. Well, before I push this button, is there anything else you want to share with the audience? No, I think that's You're pretty engaged, much it. You? Nope. <laughs> What's that? I don't know. But I'm going to do this. Will he reuse another one? Is he ready? Is he going to bed with pastries again? It's Ruse Cookie Time, not sponsored by Betty Crocker. <laughs> I had to do something there for season six. Well, here is today's fortune. Live every day like it's your last before you die from a drive-by crossbow at 8.39 a.m. tomorrow. What the hell is In that? bed. With a cookie. The what hell is a drive-by crossbow? What are you doing? Getting fortune cookie novels? No, it's a, it was a fortune cookie. Alright guys, now let's get into our topic. Our topic we are going to be... T- um, discussing today is burned furs. So what are burned furs? But before we get to that, we're going interde- to introduce our guest. Did you say interdeck? <laughs> yes. Is, how do you interdeck somebody? I don't know. Maybe like you say, hi, how are you? And then you like hit them. <laughs> interdeck. Okay. So our guest has a much longer name, but for the sake of, of shortness, unless you really don't like it, we're going to call you Sophie. Sophie's fine with me. <laughs> so, but tell everyone your full name, just so, well, at least how you want us to note it. Sure. My name is uh, Sophiana Keitan Artinger, and uh, I've uh, been around, been tootling around furry fandom since about 91 or so. Uh, not currently attending conventions these days or keeping an eye on artwork much, but uh, I've been around. 91. Oh, my God. So, what fandoms have you been in? 
Uh, I've been in a variety of fandoms. My my household was a science fiction household uh, growing up. At least my dad's side of the, the family was a science fiction household growing up. So Star Trek, Doctor Who, Star Wars, um, and uh, comic books. Um, my mom's side of the house was a uh, gaming and RPG household. So uh, I'm, I've you know, I'm probably the only high school kid ever to have to tell uh, tell her parents to knock it off because it, she has school the next morning, because they were gaming at like 3 a.m. on a Sunday night. Um, so I've I've been a part of all of those, uh, and uh, I I still maintain connections in most of those. Um, but I joined, I, I I kind of nominally became a furry uh, in the mid 80s. Um, fell into watching or reading uh, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics, uh, Usagi Yojimbo, Albedo, um, old school furry, old school furry stuff. That's awesome. That's awesome. The the old school Ninja Turtles, the comic books. Uh, were you also involved in the TV series as well? Uh, a little bit. I, I found the TV series even when I was like eight or nine, like the TV series when I watched, I was like, these aren't these aren't the T turtles I knew. They're they're not they're in the like, comic book. They're they're cartoony and they're silly and they're and like the original comic they were like edgy and and vicious and, and actually pretty badass. And these guys are just a bunch of clowns that kind of follow the same characters. So I, I did watch it because there was Jackal on TV, uh, aside from that and uh, Tailspin and Darkwing Duck. Those but, were not uh, yeah. little shows. I just like to point out those were big shows. <laughs> yeah, they were huge shows. They were, they're still huge shows. Uh, they're uh, shows that helped shape my childhood in, in very real ways. So what other fandoms are you involved in? Currently, I am uh, primarily involved with the Brony community. Uh, I don't hesitate to use the term fandom. I mean, because they they are more than just fans of the My Little Pony show. They are in some ways a social activist. Like a number of them are socially social activists uh, under that brony umbrella which kind of makes them a little bit of an unusual fandom so i i sit on the board of directors for harmonious elements which is the umbrella company that runs uh, the bay area um bay area brony spectacular which is the second largest uh, second or third largest depending on which time of year it is uh my little pony friendship is magic convention i love babscon been there a couple times actually was had to miss it this year but yeah, definitely a fan of that one. Oh yeah, everyone had, had a lot of folks had to miss it this year because we moved off of Easter weekend. Um, no choice on that front, but we'll be back on Easter weekend next year, and we'll be back for at least one more go around, hopefully two. Yeah, I'm sad because I miss John Delancey because I loved him so much as Q. He bailed. Oh, did he, he bailed. Oh, did he? Second time. Yeah, he bailed on us a second time, oh. and uh, we're not likely to pursue him a third time because he's bailed on us twice. Oh, that's sad. Because I wanted to get a picture of him, or I wanted to get an autograph. I wanted to do a picture of like Q shaking hands with Discord, and then have him sign it. That would be pretty, uh, pretty epic, actually. We we had plans for him, and then he bailed. I want to say he bailed in March, like three months. March? No, uh, February. Two months, two three months before the con, 
which is the second time he's done it. He he basically signed a contract to go do work and had a choice between attending our convention and going and working. So sad. Actors, they have this thing called work that they do. I don't quite understand it myself. <laughs> yeah. Why can't they just be put in a glass and just be adored from afar? <laughs> oh, some of them don't like that. I care. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. So, so let's talk a little bit about your furry history then. So, you yep. you got involved. You said in the mid '80s, and then you said 1991. So, was that like the official day that you went to a convention, or when? Well, you... the, what, how that it was weird because I I was a fan of anthropomorphics from TMNT and those comics that I mentioned. Um, but I wasn't really, I didn't know there was a community out there. I didn't know there was a fandom, for lack of a better term. I, I, I didn't know that there were other artists that drew fan art. I, I didn't know any of that until 91. I moved from uh, a little farming town, uh, Salinas, California, to Berkeley to go to high school. Uh, moved from my dad's house to my mom's house, effectively. And when I moved to my mom's house, I was given access to the internet at large as it stood at the time, which was mostly uh, America Online. But I suddenly had access to uh, Usenet message boards for the the for you know alt fan furry, and I had uh, access to furry bulletin boards, and I had suddenly I had access to the larger fan base. And uh, once, once I had access to that larger fan base, that's kind of when I consider myself having joined the furry fandom, because I wasn't part of the furry fandom until that time. So during that particular time, how would you describe the fandom um, at that particular time? It was strange. I, I, yeah, you have to understand for me, that's like almost 30 years ago. Um, so I have to dig kind of deep into my memory. The the furry fandom at the time was fairly welcoming. There were still cliques. There were still um, some of the that fragmentation that later became uh, actually led into the burned furs and and the other uh, so the other special how to phrase them the the other little groups that that uh, became associated with furry drama. Um, but there was a lot of, the, that fragmentation was still there, but it wasn't as obvious. Um, and it was a little more welcoming, I think, at the time than it was later in the 90s. But at the same time, there was still this, 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 uh, I don't know, it's, it was different. It wasn't the same as it is now. So, so let's paint this just a little bit here, because the thing is, is a lot of people right now, especially the younger ones out there, I mean, furry to them is it's a bunch of Twitter accounts, it's a, it's a Telegram group, it's all these things. Whereas for you, it was other things like mailing lists and all and bulletin boards and stuff. So, if you wanted to interact with other furries, it wasn't as instantaneous, right? That's correct. Yeah, no, it was one of these things where um, you would you would send an email to somebody. Uh, you would you would go and call up and log in if and check uh, avatar.snc.edu, which was the big furry image archive, 
and, and you'd log into that via FTP, which was archaic by today's no web interface. It was just like you know an FTP interface, and and you'd have to to scroll through and find the artists that you were following and, and check and see, sort it by date and see what new art they'd have, and you'd have to actually download the art before you could see it. Um, and uh, there were chat rooms, fortunately. But uh, that was, you know, the precursors to IRC and, uh, very, you know, chats on, like, how you have a chat window on social media or instant messaging. Like, most of that stuff didn't really exist in the format that we're familiar with now. And to interact with them, you really had to do, you had to stay in contact via email or message board posts, or you had to attend conventions. Um, there were local gatherings, but for the most part, the furry community was much smaller than it is today, uh, and that has a that had a that shaped kind of your perception of the furry community because you only saw um, you 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 only saw the either the most vocal folks or you only saw the folks that were on your bulletin board or your message board you didn't really see like you couldn't log into uh, uh for affinity and get like you know look a couple thousand furs you know you didn't have that you had your group of five or six folks that you knew and uh that and maybe those guys knew five or six folks and those guys it was different it was it, the, the structure was different because the social structure was different because social media didn't really exist, um, and it was it was I don't want to say more archaic, but it certainly wasn't as easy to connect with furs as it was um, as it is now I should say. So I'm guessing that you had um, at some point in time you attended meets. Um, how was kind of the fill? Um, during that time, do you remember? Oh yeah, no, definitely. I I did it. I did connect with a few furs that actually went to high school with me. Um, they were they were an interesting bunch. Uh, they their main focus was on the the erotica artwork, uh, but you know that's high school for you, you know. Um, but the most of the furs that I met uh, up until my first convention were fairly nice folks. Uh, my first convention, however, um, it was a bunch of stuff that happened at that convention that kind of opened my eyes a bit, and I went, huh. But uh, my first convention was, was conference. I want to say it was 93. might have been 94. Um, shortly before it got, like, huge. Because it, it started to get really big right after 94, 95. Um, but when I went, I got the impression uh, uh, as compares it because I grew up going to other types of conventions. I grew up going to sci-fi and comic conventions, and gaming conventions, and the impression I was given when I went to conference was that these were a bunch of guys getting together for fun who didn't bother to do things like follow through with, say, ID checking because they weren't concerned about it. So it was a little more wilder. It was it was a little bit like joining a, a, a fan base that was like, you know, it's like joining the anime community and having the anime community just like not care about making sure that people 
uh, are underage or, or, or of the age of majority before letting them into a room full of, of artwork that, you know, it's the anime community. I mean, come on. How, how, how. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think about all the artwork that, that exists within the anime community and imagine not having any real filter on it. Well, what, are, um, what are you talking about? Japan, they're not perverted at all. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Heaven forbid. It's a social norm there. Um, but th- there was a lot of that in the in the early 90s where it didn't feel like folks were being um, careful in the way that, that people are, are now careful. Uh, it, it just felt like it was a little wilder, a little more, a little less controlled. And um, which, from the point of view of a high schooler, is probably fine. But from the point of view of an adult or a person who's been attending conventions for a long time, it's kind of like, huh, this has all the markings of being problematic. And, and as, we, as, as anyone who does any research into conference can, can tell you, it became problematic uh, very quickly, a, a, a year or two after I attended, actually, it became a, a big issue. I was just looking up on the side there what happened with it. That's uh, so. It sounds like it was a bit of a wild, wild west situation. Oh yeah, very much so, and it was exciting for. Like I said, I, it was exciting. My first convention, uh, actually, actually went to went to conference with one goal in my head. And uh, I, I scrimped and I saved for a couple of years, and I was like, I'm going to buy a fursuit. Like, that was my whole plan. Um, and I went, and I talked to the folks that made the, the various fursuits, because someone was doing a, a big presentation on, on you know, how to make a fursuit, and, and, and here's the materials you, you needed. I'm like, I want that material. And they're like, okay, to make a fursuit out of this material, it's about $1,200. And I went, oh, well... Damn. Okay. Thank you. Because I had script over like a couple of years. You know, a high school student. I'd saved maybe four or five hundred dollars. There was no way in hell I was going to be able to afford a fursuit that was uh, just the materials alone were twelve hundred dollars. And so I, I, I was very disappointed. Um, I can remember being a little broken actually for the rest of that con after that was on Saturday. Uh, but I. On the whole, I went there and I brought back a bunch of cool stuff and and I had fun. But at the same time, it very much felt like folks didn't want, either were too lazy to do their due diligence or they were okay with not doing their due diligence. I don't know if it was intentional or not. I I can't speak to that because I can't read people's minds. Um, So, but. Oh, explain due diligence for. For uh, the people that don't have a, a big um, dictionary. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Due, due diligence means following through on making certain that everything is legal. Okay. Or everything is above board. So uh, in you, this you case, don't want to become a hive of scum uh, and villainy. I can remember, I can remember get, grabbing my badge, and I went to get out my ID and the person behind the table said, oh, you look like you're above 21, and just handed me an adult badge. Didn't even bother to, to leave me and let me get my ID out. Wow. That sounds amazing. And also very, very problematic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. But, the, but I, watched, I watched registration, and it, I was not the only one that went through that same exact process. Um, 
So, so I, it, it horrified me as a person who'd attended other conventions because I, I could tell that it, it had all the markings of being problematic. And, uh, yeah, so it was, um, so, it was truly, truly, so, a, truly a Wild West kind of thing. Were badges a big thing back then, too? Badges, badges have always been a big thing in the furry fandom. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's something about a fandom based around uh, anthropomorphic artwork or not. I actually, I think it's a, any fandom based around artwork and creative expression. I think has that um, that that whole badges being a big deal kind of thing. I think that's uh, I think that's always been uh, a, a thing. For, well, for badges, it's like your ID, though. Like you can, you you can see people, you know, for you know what they are in person, but you can't necessarily read their minds. So that badge really identifies. It's like their furry ID. A little bit, yeah. Oh, certainly. Uh, and you can, you see the same thing in the Brony community, and you see the same thing now in the anime and sci-fi communities. So something that I find um, really important in the furry community because I mean I know that for me when I got into the furry fandom it felt like that it was a it was a big family um, during that particular time did you feel like that it was a big family in, in 1991 right? I, I think it was it, it felt that way for the most part I want to say I want to stress that enough for the most part because I certainly met individuals even as far back as 93, that, that seemed to want to be seen as, like, they, they were coming to conventions, and I've encountered this in the Brony community, too. Um, they were, they're coming to conventions to indulge in their kinks or to get, get laid. They weren't necessarily there as fans of the furry community. They were there because it was an easy way for them to get some. And those folks always kind of rubbed me a little the wrong way because here we are at a convention to do to look at artwork, erotic or not, doesn't really matter, and to socialize and talk about like our our, our love for either a comic series or a, a certain character or a certain species type or, or whatever, you know. Here we are to, to be ourselves for a weekend and you have these people showing up hitting on everything in sight, just about and sure, it's there are folks like that in every fandom. Like the, you have the folks in, in Star Trek that there are there are folks that attend Star Trek conventions for very similar reasons. But it, it just seemed less controlled, less hidden, if you will. It was a lot more public that these folks were there for that exact reason. Sure, they also had furry badges and they did artwork, but they they were very open about what they did, um, and it was uh, it was a little worrying. So, so that brings us to a good a good segue into the main piece of topic here, which is so you're hanging out, you're doing, you're having a great time in the wild wild west, and then this thing called the burned furry movement starts. So, describe to us what what that was and what you know what it was like okay um uh, a couple of things about my encounters with the 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 burn first uh i had left high school i had moved out of the bay area um i was 
active in the furry community via messages, emails, and message boards, but I wasn't really attending conventions for a few years. And somewhere along the line, this Burned Fur Manifesto popped up online, which was, uh, and there are multiple different versions of it, or at least there were at the time. Uh, and it originated from a couple of folks, uh, this, uh, Peter Shorm, uh, or Squee Rat, um, and uh, Eric Blumrich. And now Eric Blumrich I'd known for a while because um, his he has this harsh commentary on the furry fandom of which I agreed with some of it and I disagreed with some of it. Some of it was it was him picking fights just to pick fights. Uh, which, you know, that could have a beneficial effect. Uh, it could also be problematic. Especially if you do it too often. But they posted this thing that basically said uh, that the furry community is being overrun by deviants uh, and 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 folks who have no social skills and folks that are basically um, coming in and duplicating other people's artwork just to be famous and they're doing they're they're here because no other polite community would have them um and the whole concept of the the burned furs was that these were folks that had spoken up about these things and they felt that the community had basically for lack of a better term burned them over their opinions uh hence the term burned first they were folks who had this view and they they put it out there and basically were attacked for it and they felt betrayed by their own fandom in a very real way and this this manifesto um it, it's it, the concept the the underlying reasons for this manifesto uh, are still actually they still crop up every once in a while a group of people get together and say this is a problem um a lot of this comes out of uh, one of the the most infamous uh, of the conference conventions, wherein um, there were a lot of things that happened publicly that were caught on record by reporters. Like what? Um, well, like the uh, the slave auction for one, uh, where apparently a bunch of kids from a convention that was also at the same hotel managed to get into like they were like eight or nine i think uh for one uh, and uh there was uh the party floor was less well uh less well patrolled and uh there were play parties for lack of a better term we'll use a bdsm term there because you know it's, i live in the bay area uh, there were play parties that were going on that weren't properly door guarded and that kind of, and, 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 and kids and, and uh, folks that were there at the hotel but not part of the convention were wandering into and seeing the stuff and it, it was sure it doesn't necessarily cover the majority of the furry community to say that uh, they were um, what's the proper term there's a term for it uh, morally, not morally bankrupt. Um, More, I know what you I know what you're getting at. Yeah, it's it's there on the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember it. Uh, but it, th there was this this perception that we that we were a bunch of perverted, twisted, uh, twisted 
deviants. And that we 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 gave, came to these conventions and we were public and open and like and and I saw some of it. Uh, I saw uh, I went to a convention. Uh, I guess it was ninety nine, maybe two thousand. Uh, right around the time I was coming back into doing conventions, and I was in the lobby and I watched someone walk by in full bondage gear, like not like full covering bondage gear either, like stuff that you would not wear in public. It almost anywhere just through the hotel lobby and these guys were upset because the furry community was being painted in the popular media as a bunch of deviants and a bunch of perverted you know low lives and they had a problem with that and that was kind of and that was kind of the the original platform that their 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 initial the thing that tied them together was um, but there's a lot of dispute. There was a lot of dispute because uh, Eric Blumrich basically hated everybody, um, and several, uh, one or two of the other guys involved hated. Like they, they had issues with obscure fetishes, and there was one guy who was a prude who hated erotic artwork, etc., etc., etc. But those were typically individual. But they were the most vocal people. And so as a result of this, you had this movement that was all about cleaning up the, the furry, furry fandom and, and, and forcing it to be basically as clean as, uh, I don't know, um, well, I'm trying to think of a good... A good Sunday service? Yeah, Sunday service is not too bad, but it even, they even had issues with Christian furs. So, you know, I mean, I, I didn't want to use that term. I didn't want to go to the religion side of things, but they wanted to make it like super, super clean. And it was it was one of these things where um, I was like, really, these I, these guys have a point, but at the same time, they're 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 kind of extremists, and I'm not real happy with uh, what the, like all the stuff they're saying is is problematic because. My view, my view of how, how, my view of this has always been: if you wouldn't show your parents, you should keep it out of the public spaces, and that, that's always been my view, even as far back as '91. Um, but these guys were like they were rampant, and they were they were uh, rabid and vicious and and cutting. Let, let's go ahead and and do this. We're going to put a pause on this for a second. Okay. And um, we will discuss what happened with the Burn Furry movement after Space News and the break. Hailing Frequencies Open, Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of July 28th, here are your space headlines. We had a lot of anniversaries over the last few weeks. First up, on July 15th, 1975, the Apollo Soyuz test project began. An American Apollo command capsule docked with a Russian Soyuz in the first ever joint venture between the superpowers, marking the start of international cooperation between NASA and Roscosmos. Next, on July 20, 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first humans to ever set foot on a distant celestial object as part of Apollo 11's mission to the moon. On the same day, seven years later, Viking 1 touched down on the surface of Mars, giving us our first glimpse of the Martian terrain. And then on July 26, 1971, Apollo 15 launched on the fourth manned mission to land on the moon, doing so just four days later. 
This was the first moon landing that saw use of the iconic lunar rover, which Jim Irwin and David Scott used to travel further across the surface than ever before. Recently, SpaceX launched CRS-9, a Dragon resupply mission to the ISS atop their Falcon 9 rocket. The launch was a success, carrying more than two tons of supplies, parts, and scientific experiments. In the unpressurized trunk, Dragon carried an international docking adapter, a replacement for the one that was lost during the failure of CRS-7, meaning the ISS is gearing up to accept even more visiting spacecraft in the near future. This was the second attempt for SpaceX to land the first stage back at LZ-1, and just like the first time back in December of last year, they stuck the landing. It's still considered experimental, but it's happening so much now that it's beginning to look easy. Just prior to SpaceX's launch, a Russian Progress resupply vehicle was launched as well, carrying supplies and science to the ISS. As of right now, both Dragon and Progress are berthed to the station, the first time this has ever happened. Here's hoping this is just a sign of continued international cooperation in space. Curiosity is going to be getting some company in the form of its twin, the Mars 2020 rover. NASA just booked the nuclear-certified Atlas V rocket that will carry it to the Red Planet in the coming years. Why does it have to be a nuclear-certified rocket, and what does that mean? Curiosity and Mars 2020 are both nuclear-powered, using RTGs, or radioisotopic thermoelectric generators, to supply them with the necessary electricity to function. This is more desirable than solar power on the Martian surface because of the potentially fatal buildup of dust on the panels. No one will be there to sweep them off, after all and the rocket has to be nuclear certified because of that radioactive payload. It has a specially designed self-destruct system that's meant to prevent the rocket from careening out of control into a populated area, while at the same time making sure it doesn't rupture the nuclear payload, causing widespread contamination. The Atlas V is the only currently flying rocket at NASA's disposal certified to do this, and has done so several times in the past to great success, including Curiosity itself and New Horizons. Earlier today, July 28th, the ULA successfully launched their NROL-61 mission atop an Atlas V for the National Reconnaissance Office out of Cape Canaveral. The payload itself is classified, but it was successfully put into a stable orbit by the booster in its 421 configuration. That means it was a rocket with a 4-meter fairing, two solid rocket boosters, and a single Centaur upper stage engine. Listeners to this segment will be able to see by now that the Atlas family is a real workhorse in the world of spaceflight. Finally, something that will be of interest to most everyone listening to this podcast. CASIS, the Center for the Advancement of Science and Space, was created in 2011 to manage all the research and resources of the U.S. National Laboratory onboard the International Space Station. In an effort to appeal to the next generation of STEM students, they released a new mission patch that will represent all the payloads bound for the U.S. National Lab for the rest of 2016. And it just so happens to have Groot and Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy on it. Designed by Marvel's Custom Solutions Group, it was revealed at Comic-Con San Diego to uproarious applause, so any science bound for the U.S. lab will have the fandom's favorite raccoon on the side. The geeks are truly taking over. That's all we've got for you this time. For more on space and space-related matters, follow NASA, Roscosmos, Curiosity, Mars 2020, and the United Launch Alliance on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying keep looking up, space fans. We want you to do our ident. Click do our ident on the For What It's Worth website. And welcome back. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that this time. 
Welcome back, guys. We hope you enjoyed Space News <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all the other stuff that was on the break. I don't that know what was, was on season the break. five. That was so season five. I know. Though. It was so last week. <laughs> Space News, the only news that goes on forever. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> So we're, we are going to pick right back up where we left off, talking about burned furries. So we we were kind of getting a little bit of the landscape and how that emerged. So you, you have these people who come out and they say, all right, we need to clean up the fandom. And they put that out there. So what happened afterward? Well, what happened afterward, be, simply because of how, how rabidly uh, pushy they were about their agenda, is that there was... An almost immediate pushback. Um, and this was due to, in some ways, the harsh tone of their manif- their, their original manifesto. This was due, uh, due to um, uh, one of their founders' uh, attitude uh, towards fringe groups within the furry community, or in some cases, mainstream groups within the furry community. Um, there was this immediate pushback. And you had the creation, because of this one pressure, you, you had this, this fragmentation of, of the individual groups within the furry community. And you had the creation of other, other kind of fur groups. You had things like the frozen furs or the, the, the what's, the, what's there's, there was another one I'm trying to think of. Um, um, are you there, talking the, about um, the burn furs um the frozen furs, the, 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 there, there's the frozen furs, the freezing furs, there was uh, uh, furry peace, uh, the non-aligned furs, there was, there was a number of others. And the, the, they were all born out of this initial pressure, this initial um, uh, manifesto that basically it was a point of contention. Because you had these people that were making this commentary, broad sweeping commentary um about the furry community whether or not it was true it was so controversial and it was so polarizing that for a period of time of a, a year or so you you had this fragmentation that existed um pretty much leading up until the um uh, you know, pretty much leading up until the creation of further confusion, really. I mean, they were around. That was where I met, actually met a burned fur was at FC. Um, I actually met several of them. I think I somewhere I have a burned fur pin. You know so, what? You know, the word that you were probably looking for was improved anthropomorphics. That, that was later. Oh, okay. That was later. Jeez. Sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. Yeah, no, that that was later. That that came after the burned furs. Basically, uh, they imploded for all intents and purposes because they couldn't agree what needed to be done. They couldn't agree what was the problem. They couldn't agree, and on on, on their they couldn't agree on their very manifesto. But because of this, you had this response, this knee-jerk response from a number of folks within the, the community, uh, Foxfire, um, I'm trying to think who else was involved in that. I, 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 all of this happened for the most part online, um, and at the time I was really only attending further confusion, so I didn't really see 
beyond reading occasional message board posts and seeing logos on websites, I didn't actually see a lot of it in person, but it was very prevalent. Um, I, I would go and look at somebody's uh, art page and they would say, I'm aligned with uh, the frozen furs or the freezing furs, or I'm aligned, I, or, you know, I believe in the burned furs or whatever. They have these little logos. Um, and that, that kind of bugged me a bit because we we couldn't agree and it was kind of the beginning of my disillusionment with the furry community because here we are we're a group of folks that have that are fans of anthropomorphics in whatever form they take be it a fursuit be it artwork be it writing be it whatever video games uh collectible card games didn't really matter we were fans of of that that anthropomorphic art style, if you will, and we couldn't agree to get along together uh, over the fact that we need to keep private stuff private, which is, it's long since been basically a moot point for the most part, like the community kind of evolved from that point to be a little more self-policing, but at the time there was, there was this, this fragmentation and very vocal and very clear cut um, infighting to the point where there were threats of violence against people uh, active threats of violence mostly from the burned furs towards members of the furry community and even in some cases members of burned fur against other members of burned fur and it's like from my perspective it's it's like okay they've got a point but at the same time they they don't really because they you know they'll say that they want a certain thing and then they'll turn around and they'll be hypocritical about it like a number of people who founded burned the burned fur movement if you will for lack of a better term they um they they were founded on the the perspective of cleaning up the furry community and yet like half of them were erotica artists you know it's hard to take them seriously. It's it's a pot and kettle situation. Yeah, it is. Um, and and I never really could understand. I never really could understand not the not the reasons for it. Like I understood the reasons for it because I came from uh, I came from other other fandoms, but I could never understand why there was so much infighting between that group and why there was so much, uh, I don't want to say resistance because that's not the right term, but why there was so much fragmentation. Like that made, that that has never made sense to me. Um, it just sounds like that it was an outright civil war. Well, I, mean, I actually have, I, so I took notes, right? Yeah. Um, well, I actually, someone sent me notes and then I took them and I've been kind of parsing them as we've gone through this. And, um, they were talking basically that it became a three-year flame war. It did. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was a it was a three. Actually, it was it was closer to four years. But by the time uh, to by by the near the end of it, most of the folks that were burned furs had either moved on to other things, or had left the fandom, or you know they 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 had basically decided that they were, for lack, again, to, not to be crass, but they were pissing against the wind from their perspective. Um, 
and and making no change at all and getting themselves stinky and, and, and nasty by comparison. And the truth of the matter is, from my point of view, is that the idea was good. The idea is the idea of, of keeping things publicly clean is is great. It's wonderful. It's necessary. In fact, if we're going to have like reporters and whatnot show up at conventions, like if the public's going to put a, a magnifying glass on us, we got to clean up our act. But at the same time, like making a big issue and calling out, oh, the gays are responsible for all the porn in, in, in the fandom. Like that kind of hate is – it's counterproductive. I'm curious. You, you, you said you got a pin? I did. Somewhere in my, my many, many boxes of furry memorabilia, they, they made Colosseum pins. Uh, one year that were basically it was a, the shape of a paw but the paw was on fire and I have one somewhere I, I don't know which box it's actually in but wow. I, it was at FC it was the first FC I attended which I think was 2000 and I ran into a burned fur and, and they had several several burned several pieces of merch that had uh, and see that's a brony term merch they, they had several bits of, <laughs> of, of merchandise that uh that that had the burned fur logo on it, and I liked the design of the logo, like because I mean burned fur, the burned furs were primarily started by folks who are artists, so they had great design. Uh, so I have a burned fur pin somewhere buried in one of my boxes, a little Colosseum, you know, one inch, one and a half inch pin. Uh, right. I also have a, a fur forever pin somewhere too, which is a, another thing I haven't seen. Uh, bandied about since the the year or two that that those were in existence um i don't think the frozen furs ever did one i don't think that the freezing furs ever did a uh a a, a colosseum pin but uh there's a let it go joke somewhere in there i'm sure there is i'm <laughs> sure there is i mean can you can you i now i'm having like imagining foxfire in like an elsa outfit singing let it go <laughs> it's just like a wrong image uh <laughs> Which is precisely why you need it. So what damage do you feel like this did to the furry community? Well, I think it it did a couple of things. Um, It forced certain members of the furry community to actually take a look at themselves. Which is never a bad thing. Like Self-examination is always a good thing because it lets you know exactly where you screwed up. It's hard to do, but you need to do it sometimes. That's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's and for a community that had basically been trying to stick their heads in the sand for like ten years or so, it was a wake up call. It was. It was. It's very hard to do. So as a, it, that was also part of the fragmentation is because you had people that wanted to stick their fingers in their ears and go la 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 la, and further confusion. Um. When further confusion was founded, one of the things that they focused on, at least for the first few years, is that public perception. And some of that came out of the burned fur movement. So there's there's been there's been a lot of good that came from that wake up call, but there's also been a fair amount of bad. The the fallout has been that even to this day, you say furry drama. And like you, it conjures this image, 
And some of that comes out of that burned fur, that, that three-year flame war. Some of that comes out of that in a very real way. You, you have the sense, and even in other fandoms. Like if I go to, I, I went to uh, Celebration 7 last year. And I was talking to someone and the, con- the, 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 the topic of furries came up. And they're like, oh yeah, those, those folks, they have so much drama. Like this is from a non-fur who only recently joined the, the the convention circuit to do sci-fi conventions. And the first thing that they already know is that the furry community is full of drama and flame wars. So there's this, this it's created this, this whole concept, this whole fragmentation and this infighting over that three years. And to a degree, there was some of that before those three years. But that three-year period in particular has created this perception of the furry community that is not entirely accurate but at the same time it's also you know it's indicative of the problems and the 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 issues facing the furry community going forward do you do you think that it's this is the the burn furries movement led to the ability to have a discussion about behavior being severely damaged i do um Weirdly enough, I think that I think in a, in a kind of a backwards kind of way, uh, the, the actually I think that the burn first and to a greater extent the fragmentation that happened because of them has allowed the the furry community to to be a little more self examining, um, and and you know out of that you had the movement you had uh, you know like I said you had further confusion which came about as a response to a conference actually moving dates so one of the things that fc did was was they forced uh they basically said you had to check badges you had to make sure your adult artwork was covered and if it wasn't covered you were you were given a warning and if it still wasn't covered afterward you were removed from the premises um it actually happened the first couple of years that fc happened they they actually removed people from the dealers vendors hall because they outright refused to cover their their um, adult products. So, and that stemmed from what the burnt furs were saying, which is it, it's had a resonance. It's it's had an effect on every convention and event since then, despite the fact that that it created so many problems at the time. I think that it was a little bit of a wake-up call. Uh, I think that uh, I think that it did change the way that the the fandom operated because it it forced folks that had been in the fandom for you know ten years to look at the look at the fandom and go, you know what, you guys are right. Look at the anime the anime fandom. Like you go over to an anime convention and sure, yeah, there's there's porn and there's erotica and there's lifestyle choices and there's kinks and there's whatever. But it's not like flaunted or in your face usually. So, do you feel like that we have any form of like burn first today? Like, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, oh yeah, certainly. There's certainly a group of folks that, but it, it's it's the way they're going about it is different today than they were going about it in the late 90s. The late 90s, it was outrage and anger and fire and brimstone and, and yar, everything is hate. Uh, and the, there's that, the new group, that there was a new group formed, I think it was in 2007, 
um, uh, uh, pretty much right around the time uh, that my own exhaustion with the furry community was was reaching ahead, um, which actually had nothing to do with any of this. It had more to do with a little bit of culture clash um, called the called Burnt Furs Two. Uh, which was, there was a lot of uh, controversy using the term Burned Furs 2 as, as a group name because they, they were completely different. Like, which was they, had the, they had the same basic idea that the furry community needed a little bit of policing and needed to clean up its public image. But the way they went about it was very, the way they're going about it, because I think they still exist, is, is very different. Like, their focus is to inspire the community to be better by setting a, an example. So Burn First 2 was, um, they changed their name to Improved Anthropomorphics. That's correct. Uh, they've actually used a couple of other names apparently too. Uh, I don't know any of them personally. I'm sure if I asked around, I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember you from back in the day. Um, but uh, most of my energies these days are focused around making sure that BabsCon doesn't die. <laughs> so I'm not really, not really in the loop when it comes to the furry community too much, at least these days. So, so when this, when the original movement was going on, then how did you feel emotionally as you saw this unfolding? Um, I, I read through their manifesto. I think I read it in late '98. And I read through it, and I read through it again in early ninety, not early ninety nine. At the time, I was working sixty some odd hours a week working in the dot com industry, so it wasn't like I had much time to to go to gatherings or or conventions at the time. And my my immediate knee jerk reaction was, "How dare they?" You know, this this community's existed in its current state for you know longer than I've been a part of it. How dare someone? spew this kind of vitriol and hate at the community as a whole. And it wasn't until um, it wasn't until late 99 uh, and, and there was a, a post on Usenet where someone was talking about how they, they were they were just reiterating the burnt fur thing and they were being very hate-filled speech. I forget exactly what they said, but they were calling out folks, and they were calling out conventions, and they were calling out. They they were they basically they were just adding to the flame war. And I actually posted a response to this, and my response was was it, it was folks who know me now will say it was very typical of me, but my response was basically, look, you're 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 spewing all this hatred and all this violence and, and talking about what the community owes you because you were here back when and you feel that we are that the community has become too public with its kinks and and I said, So you're talking and talking and talking, but what are you actually doing? How are you actually helping fix the problem aside from just pissing people off what how are you spewing so much hate and and so much effort hating when you could actually help clean up that image with action with talking to people with being diplomatic with actually you know rather than asking what your fandom is going to do in order to correct this problem why not ask what you can do 
to correct this problem with your fandom, uh, to paraphrase, uh, uh, you know, uh, Kennedy. And I didn't get a response from the burned fur in question, whose whose name I forget. It wasn't one of the founders, and it was someone I haven't heard from even before or since. But I got a response from uh, a gentleman who uh, was the legal advisor to um, uh, Anthro Arts and Education, which is the group that runs FC. And they said, you sound like a cool person. Can we have you come work for our convention? Uh, but my response was outrage because here is a group of people who have a very valid point but who are call uh, who are attacking people rather than attacking the cause rather than actually being a positive force and making a change these are folks that are seem to be a hate group akin to the KK uh, KKK or akin to um, I'm sure there are others in American history I know there are um, but they were a hate group they were outright a hate group for lack of a better term and I was outraged that that uh, that members of my fellow community uh, at the time could be filled with so much hate like I had I had real issues with it um, and it was it was and especially the threats of violence that that uh, I saw and heard, and uh, that that was scary. It was a scary moment. Did did you end up having friends that ended up leaving um, the fandom during that time? Uh, I did actually. I had several folks that uh, a couple of of folks that left the fandom during that time, or or I had actually they didn't leave the fandom so much as they. Start. They decided they weren't ever going to attend conventions again. Ah, oh, that's that's disappointing. That's really yeah. sad. This was a direct result of all the flame war. It was. Oh yeah. In some cases, uh, very specifically so. Um, in other cases, it was uh, exhaustion from having to um, try and be the voice of reason in in a situation where reason didn't exist really. Uh, because of how much hatred and rage there were, and to a degree, it was on both sides. I mean, on multiple sides. It wasn't just from the burned furs, but the burned furs were certainly the most vocal. So I, I'm sorry to ask this, but um, like, why ultimately did you leave the fandom? Why would you apologize for that? I don't know. <laughs> it's not. It's not an apology. No apology needed. Uh, I joined the furry community in '91, and and as we've probably as you probably have gotten the impression um, from our conversation here, there was a cultural shift over that, that over almost 15 years within the furry community where the community I joined originally, which was all about the artwork has become not just about the artwork anymore. There's been this real shift within, within, at least the conventions, um, where there's, you know, you have the fursuiters as the, that consider it a lifestyle. You have, uh, you have the lifestylers, which don't even get me uh, trying to define what a lifestyler is. You ask three of them, you get 12 different answers. Um, you had this whole burned fur movement, which even now, even now, uh, nearly 
15 years later, 15 years after they've disappeared, like you can still see echoes sometimes of, of, of that three year flame war. Um, that the culture had shifted so radically over the course of about 15 years of that I had been involved that I didn't feel a connection with the furry community anymore. And to a large degree, I still don't. Um, I'd worked at FC for 10 years. Um, I had, I had been a vendor at other artists. I, I, I was an artist. I drew, I mean, I, I went and sold artwork at conventions. Um, and I felt a massive disconnect between who I was, who I'd become and the culture of the furry community. And I felt that I no longer fit. It doesn't mean I'm not still a fan of, of anthropomorphics. It doesn't mean I'm still not a furry. It just means I'm not part of the furry community. So I've, 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 I've kind of politely gone, for the most part, politely gone my separate way. And I, I left the furry community and, and was gone from really any convention for three or four years. Um, I mean, I still send, I, I do still attend FC because, uh, um, FC is local for one and for two I still have friends in the furry community uh, one of my best friends uh, is an artist who lives in Vegas um, she constantly asks are you going to this con? are you going to that con? Um, uh, some of my best local friends are furs um, I mean I know new Simon Simon Wolf who was uh, head of ops for FC for many years he's a good friend I've known him for a long time um, uh Dusty Cat, who is now known as the manliest Rony, that's where he has his fame at the moment. Like, I knew him in the mid-90s. Uh, he, he's definitely a fur, uh, and I've known him for a very long time. So I just felt that I no longer fit within that community, and as a result of that, I didn't have that same connection to continue attending conventions. It wasn't a negative thing. It wasn't a positive thing. It's a bit like... Uh, you know, you have those kids in their, their teens who pick up a guitar and they learn to play and they learn to play well, but then by the time they're 30, they've kind of grown out of it. If that makes any sense? Like, it's that same kind of thing. Like, I didn't fit within my, my values, my perception, what I wanted was no longer connected to furry enough that I could justify going to a convention. And that's, that's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Like I said, it's, it's just a thing. It's life. It, it's an interesting um, take on it because I remember when we were hanging out in January that I you seemed a little a little bit more negative feeling at least that was the perception I had at the time towards the fandom like you you were very clear saying I'm I'm absolutely just an observer you know it was very important that I that I was aware of that yeah. um, and I don't has your opinion about that shifted. Um, no, I, I, I still am predominantly an observer. Um, it, but again, that's not a negative or a positive thing. Some of that came from uh, folks asking me point blank. Oh, you're at a furry con. You must be a furry. Oh, you're a brony. That's just like a furry with another name. And, and I had you have to understand, like when we were talking, I had just been acting as the bartender at mm. the BabsCon room party at a furry convention. So... I was tired. I was exhausted. <laughs> fair enough. Totally I, fair. I, I, I was also had also been surrounded by furries that were like, "Oh, you're just a furry." You know, I'd been surrounded by people who were insistent that I was st st a part of the community, even though I'm not 
really. You know, I'm still a fan of the artwork, but I'm not really, you know, I don't connect to that social circle anymore. I just don't. Like, it, the culture is different. The label doesn't suit you anymore, basically. Or the label yeah. shifted. The label shifted. And it's, it's, you know, my definition of furry has always been a fan of the artwork. Like, that has always been my definition. But the definition within a lot of for in a lot of furry circles now is that it's a lifestyle and that never felt true to me and it's become a little more predominant since the the late 90s actually that that definition of a furry being a lifestyle has, has become more predominant and there's nothing wrong with it but i don't fit it you know i don't i don't i don't connect with that social circle anymore and a lot of the folks that i did hang out with a lot of whom were artists who had a similar perspective as me most of them have left the fandom. So do you, f- do you think that the behavior in the fandom in the 90s led to the media perception issues that we're having today? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, you, you, have a, you have this culture that is very Wild West, that has very little um, concern for public perception. And of course... You're going to get one reporter that that's not a not part of that group. They're, they're literally they're not part of that group, and they walk into it, and the first thing they're going to do is go, "Wow, look at the freaks!" And all it takes is one reporter to do that, and it spreads like wildfire. And then you have a, a, a perception that you then have to fight for ten years before you can gain any kind of legitimacy. You know, there is one thing that I want to, to clarify in that question that I ended up asking you. Uh, and, and it's a personal opinion of mine, uh, and this is just my opinion. Um, I, I personally feel like that the perception of the media, um, at least for today, has kind of been a little bit more like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, that's all right, that's what they do. And it's like the media doesn't really care as much does that make sense at least that's how i feel um but but, i think i I think it's become not to interrupt you i do apologize for that but i think from the media's perception that it's old news for lack of a for lack of a, a more defining thing it's old news these days it's all about bronies because bronies are the new big social phenomena that is that is that is freakish um but reporters that actually go to brony cons they write these things that, that they're like, okay, so we went to a, a pony convention expecting it to be this, this kink fest, and it's not. And we're not really sure how we can write this without making it sound like an appealing thing. Like, the media has already drug the furry fandom through the ringer, just like they drug the Star Trek fandom through the ringer, or the Star Wars fandom through the ringer, or so on and so forth like every fandom has been has scrutinized had, by the media has had issues point. with the media and and that's not that's not unique i mean everybody everybody has, the the media's job isn't just to report the news it's it's also to make an entertainment and a spectacle of it because that's what sells all right so before we get your final thoughts on the on the concept of burned furs there's one email we have from alex dialka who I read part of the email last episode, but we were saving this for this episode. And since we've kind of, I think, run the gamut, I think this is the perfect time to read it. This is what they said. I had actually never heard of the term burnt furries until Tugs first mentioned it. However, I suppose that would make sense taking into account of how recently I joined the fandom, which is about two years. 
However, simply based off of what Tug said about them, I do have a question or two. Firstly, to what degree did the Burn Furries leave the fandom? I'm sure it varies from case to case, but did they completely disassociate from the fandom? Or was their separation more of a social level where they left the social part, but kept their personal interests and stayed intact? As a final note, I suppose those poor furries were watching the world they knew burn. So I simply want to say I'm sorry for those who felt they were forced to leave. I mean, it's only a fandom, and it's not like it was the end of the world, but it's still pretty harsh to lose something as cool as a fandom, you know? I'm sure they've moved on by now, but I want to say I hope they're doing alright and having a good time. X3. Okay. Um, it's going to vary depending on person to person. Most of the founders have left the uh, the furry fandom. Uh, obviously, a number of them who disagreed with the specific tone that the founders took. A lot of those folks are, from what I understand, involved with the, the was it improved anthropomorphics is what I guess they're calling themselves now. Um, because there there is very much need to focus on improving the public's perception. There, there's got to be a press corps. Like, that was one of the first things we established at, at, at uh, Babscon is a we have a we have a PR person who deals with the press, and it's done wonders for shaping and maintaining our public image. But as far as how who is left, well, Eric Blumrich, who is one of the big big folks, uh, he went on to do political commentary. Actually, won quite a few awards for political commentary, and is is pretty much living quietly, as far as I can tell, and 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 politically active but not really um but not really visible uh, but not really hidden i should say he's not part of the furry fandom but he's um he, he's off doing his own thing these days really um a lot of them a lot of them left because of the the feel like i said because they felt that they were they were talking to a brick wall they they felt that nothing that the fandom did was was extreme enough for them, and so a number of them formed their own little cliques and tried to do their own little uh, the own little groups. There was the perception of conference for many many years after it was handed over to Daryl um, Daryl Exline uh, Exline um, who was a member of the Burn Furs or, or or at least he didn't say he wasn't, uh, and that apparently was enough to 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 kill conference when it moved from January to middle of the year. Uh, the folks were very worried about uh, attending, attending it. So I think in a very real way, I think most of them have left. Uh, I think the ones that have stayed have, have become a more positive force. I think I don't, I'm pretty sure that most folks, most of the burn first did not entirely agree with the, the hate speech that they're, uh, four or five founders uh, and the the folks that wrote the manifesto. Like I, I don't think a lot of them agreed with that. I think there was more this intent that the the concept of of keeping things clean for the public. I think was a uh, a big thing. And they they pretty much faded from history. I want to say before before the um, FC two thousand and one. I want to say, for the most part, they had petered out. Well, hey, sorry to interrupt you. Um, we're going to go to our final break. Okay. And then we'll be back. Hello, and welcome to Get Psyched with 
Dr. Nuka. Why? It's one of the most basic questions we ask, as illustrated by curious two-year-olds everywhere. And it's the foundation of all of science. To ask why is to seek a causal explanation for something, and whether we realize it or not, we implicitly ask this question dozens of times per day. Why won't my car start? Why is my stomach growling? Why does my fridge smell funny? Answering these questions helps us navigate and ultimately survive in our complex world. And today, I want to focus on a particular set of why questions. Why do people behave the way they do? Because the truth is, we're all amateur psychologists, trying to understand the behavior of those around us. Why is my partner upset? Why is the driver behind me flashing their lights? Why did that stranger smile at me on the bus? And while it may not seem like it at first, how we answer these questions matters a lot. When we explain why people behave the way they do, we're engaging in what psychologists call attribution. That is, we're attributing some cause to their behavior. When it comes to explaining behavior, we typically fall back on one of two different attributional categories, dispositional or situational. A dispositional attribution explains behavior as being caused by the person doing the behavior. Why is that man shouting? Well, it's because he's an angry person, or because he likes to shout. These explanations attribute the behavior as being caused by something about the man himself. In contrast to dispositional attributions, people may make situational attributions, explaining behavior by something in the environment. Why is that man shouting? Well, it's because he's having a bad day, or because someone just insulted him. In these explanations, the man's behavior is said to be caused not by the man, but by the situation he finds himself in. But why does it matter whether we explain behavior using dispositional or situational attributions? Well, it matters because these attributions can actually affect our attitudes, beliefs, and behavior. Imagine your partner comes home from work and slams the door on the way in. Why is your partner so upset? Well, if you make a dispositional attribution, you might conclude that they're upset because they're always moody and that's just the way they are. If that's the case, you might think, well, there's not much I can do. I can't change who they are. But if you make a situational attribution for their behavior, you might think, well, maybe they had a really bad day at work, which might prompt you to go talk to them about what happened. In this case, whether or not you feel sympathy for your partner and try to help them is determined by whether you attribute their behavior to something about them or their situation. Social psychologists have also shown that people are biased in the sorts of attributions they tend to make, including a phenomenon known as the fundamental attribution error. To explain it in simple terms, we tend to explain our own behavior as being caused by situations, namely because we experience them firsthand and we can see how these situations impact our behavior. But when we explain other people's behavior, we tend to say it reflects something about that person, in part because we can't see firsthand how the situation might have affected their behavior. Imagine reading a Facebook post that was really insulting to furries. You might lash out at that poster with an angry response of your own. You would explain your behavior by saying, well, I did it because I was provoked. But someone else reading your post might not see it that way. 
they might not recognize just how provoking that situation was. And they might conclude, well, you posted it because you're an angry person. That person is engaging in the fundamental attribution error. They're attributing your behavior to something about you. But if they were in that same situation, they would probably attribute it to the situation. As a final note, psychologists have also found that we selectively make attributions in ways that make us and our groups look good. Why did I fail that test? Well, it's because the test was unfair, of course, not because I'm dumb. Why do I get paid more than other people? It's because I'm hardworking and they're lazy. Why do others get paid more than me? Well, it's not because I'm lazy, it's because the system's corrupt and unfair. The take home message is this. Whether we think about it or not, we make dozens of attributions about behavior every day, whether it's our own behavior or the behavior of others. And these attributions matter. They can influence whether we help or ignore, like or hate, and whether we feel good or bad about ourselves. We make these attributions so often and so automatically that we may not even notice when we're being unfair towards someone. Try and catch yourself the next time when you're ready to say, oh, it's because they're a jerk. Think about how their situation might be affecting their behavior and what you might do in that same situation. This has been a quick look at the psychology of attribution. I'm Dr. Nuka. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Get Psyched. You're probably feeling uncomfortable after that. I'll bet you could use some talcum. You're listening to For What It's Worth, brought to you by For What It's Worth brand talcum powder. When you're uncomfortable in your pants, think for what it's worth. Has this ever happened to you? You're at your desk in the office, diligently working on the latest erotic sketch the boss has told you he needs by three. Everything is going well. You're making excellent progress. The line, the contours, the entire composition, it's some of your best work. But oh no, you're feeling a little sticky in your pants. Someone's broken the air conditioner and it's gotten too hot for you to keep your cool. At this rate, you'll have unsightly sweat stains all over you. For what it's worth, brand talcum won't leave you asking, oh freshness, where art thou? Why, it's perfect for even the soggiest of bottoms. You'll be singing with the sirens before you know it. Combine For What It's Worth brand talcum with For What It's Worth brand pants, and you've got a match made in incorporated heaven. All right, Suzette. For What It's Worth brand talcum. When it comes to your tender regions, we're all over it. And now for today's secret code. 20, 1, 11, 5, 1, 16, 15, 23, 4, 518 Good luck Hey there everyone, it's Koru. And guess what? Those two fools have actually given me my own segment, so I can talk about whatever I want to. I can talk about bronies, I can talk about cars, uh, anything really, but I want to know what you guys want to hear. So do you want to send in letters about your car? I can try and diagnose them. Do you want me to talk about bronies for a couple minutes and current pony affairs? You guys tell me. You give me ideas. Because honestly, I have no clue. I've been thinking about it for months. So it needs to be something that you guys want to hear. So I really want your feedback on this. 
hit me up in the Telegram group. I'm on there all the time. Uh, or you can email me directly, koru at forwhatitsworth.com. So I want to hear from you guys. What do you want to hear? What kind of segments do you want? Video games? You name it. I can talk about a lot of stuff. So let me know. I can't wait to hear from you. And uh, hopefully I'll be on here again. And now we're back for the final, final thoughts of Burned Furs. So, should we do a round robin and go around the room? What's your thoughts, Mr. Tugs? I don't have thoughts. You don't have thoughts? Not today. Not anything? Not today. Okay. Anything, Mr. Koryu? Nope, I'm good. I, I think we've discussed a lot, and um, I really don't have anything. You know, I actually don't really have much either, just um, except for the fact that you know, I I think that I don't have one any of the number. Okay, you know, I do have something. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that this also comes to um, when it, the word hate. When you talked a little bit about the word hate, that that definitely um, it, it makes me. It just makes me angry and upset that because I got involved into this fandom because. You know, it was something that we had a family. It was something that I felt included in. And I just felt like that, I don't know, like hate sometimes creeps up in, in any fandom. And um, I, I would have to say that if we can, you know, try to understand each other a little bit better and not get to the point where we're, you know, throwing death threats and you know brother against brother and going through a civil war like i feel like that that there's better ways that's my opinion that there's better ways to get to the solution that that you want um but what what is your final thoughts my final thought is is very similar to yours like i i firmly believe that if you can understand what the concerns are and you can address them uh, and you can address them and 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 meet common ground. Um, you you can, what you can accomplish by having common ground and working together towards a solution rather than pointing fingers and hating, um, is so much greater than what you can accomplish by pointing fingers and 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 hating. Uh, this is something that I've seen multiple times in the Brony community. And it, it, the Brony community reminds me of what the furry community could have been when I was still a part of the furry community. Because you have groups that come together that build amazing things as tribute to the things they're fans of and release them publicly. I mean, there's whole games. Like, there's an MMO that was built by fans of My Little Pony that is a My Little Pony MMO. Like, and it's not a... It's not like a Furcadia thing. It's not 2D. It's a full 3D with quests. And, unless it's like World of Warcraft for ponies. I mean, it's... And these were created by people that were on the same page who I'm sure had disagreements. But they don't hate and they were willing to communicate. And I think that's one thing that has changed. Um, but I think that yeah no that that whole hate thing uh it doesn't it only creates problems it doesn't solve them and i totally agree with you okay all right well then let's move into the last stuff yes shall we so 
Time for this. Alright, we've pulled the zipper down. It's time for the mailbag. <laughs> Rue is giving me odd looks. Yes, I am giving you odd looks. Why? Well, um, uh, it's nothing. It's something off the show. I thought that we were changing that. Anywho. No, no, that, that one stays. <laughs> that one stays. <laughs> I, I, I can't even see you guys, and I'm giving you guys odd looks. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the bumpers are being changed for the new season, but that's classic. Plus, I haven't found a good replacement for it. So, our first and only email in the mailbag today is from Blue. Do you want it or do you want me to go for it, Rue? You know, if you have it on your screen, go right I ahead. I do. All right. He says, hello, Rue and Tugs. This is the Blue Wolf, aptly named Blue with two U's. Just want to chime in on your podcast. I recently discovered it over a certain podcast app. Which one? Imagine my surprise when I've been a furry with access to the net for six years. I love your guys' show, content, and general attitudes. Listening to your guys' podcast makes mine, and I'm sure a lot of others, commute, morning or otherwise, a little more enjoyable, and a little more furry when we might not always have time to be. Keep up the great work. Warm regards, faithful listener, Blue. P.S. Please start making episodes more often. I'm running out of stuff to listen to. <laughs> Do we have that button? Do we have it ready? Uh, i got to find where I put it, but I know I have it on here. Ah, uh, whatever. Oh, no, that's horrible. Well, thank you so much for sending that in. We appreciate it. I'm glad that um, the podcast has been some form of a... Okay, I I moved it, it. that's why. (laughs) I'm glad that it's been some form of um, inspiration to you. So thank you. Yep. That's all we had. Send more stuff to the mail bag because now it's time for the next part. you commented on the site yet? It's time to be reminded in housekeeping. Another, another <laughs> weird look from you. Well, I, I was just like, what's this? What's going on? This is like something like the Ballad of the Windfish or something? <laughs> no. <laughs> Anywho, so housekeeping. So we have, um, again, uh, you know, interact with us through social media. We like hearing from you guys definitely um so social media twitter facebook you know your regular stuff um also we have a great telegram group that's um blasting off again Um, again. (laughs) (laughs) so please feel free to join that and how can they find the telegram group tugs very carefully you know so I thought the link expired, but you say it hasn't expired, but it is on our Twitter. Um, we should probably, actually, I was thinking about putting it on our website. We probably will do that soon. But for now, check our Twitter, and it has uh, a link. You can join or ask someone like Rue or I, if you happen to have us on your stuff, to add you. Awesome. Um, if if you, I'll, I'll tell you what, if you want to contact me and I'll add you, it's at WineRedFox. That's my telegram, so you can message me, and I'll make sure to add you. And then it'll be like, he'll be like, send all the porn. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> ah. well, comment on the effing site. 
Yes, you actually put that in the notes. It says effing right there. <laughs> it's a great day for effing. Oh, my gosh. Um, and you know what? I want to put a great big thanks to Koru. He's over here in the corner here, and he does a lot of hard work for the show as far as making sure that everything is, is in order. And we also want to extend a big thanks to Firebreath as well for all that he does and last-minute recording that Tux puts him through. <laughs> Really and then it I want really to was. also send out a special thanks to Mr. Tugs here what because he puts a lot of time and a lot of effort into editing the show and um, and putting together a lot of stuff. So, yep. You know, I, I'm going to ruin it. Did you know what that song was for the housekeeping? What? I, I it sounded so familiar. I know. I know it. <laughs> Someone okay, people get nerdy for everything. That's the Motel Six music, but someone remixed it into yes. EDM. <laughs> so I use that. Oh my gosh. I knew I knew it from somewhere. You know what? You should grab the Cisco hold music. We should use that too. I wanted it to be hotel related. It's <laughs> housekeeping. Uh well, we also want to of course thank our guest. Thank you so much. We couldn't have done this episode without you today. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. If people want to get a hold of you, is that something you're cool with, or do you want them to send stuff through us? Um, they perfect. I'm I'm a fairly public persona at this point uh, because of my involvement with the the harmonious elements and Babscon and and I and I live stream and whatnot. So um, they're welcome to contact me directly. Uh, I can be found on Facebook as uh, Sofiana Ketan. I can be found uh, on YouTube as Diamond Dia Doodle, and of course I can be contacted through Babscon itself directly. Um, so the yeah, I'm easily reachable. Awesome. Well, uh, the last thanks we have for this episode is Drone On for appointing himself as lead researcher on the topic and giving us a big long list of things to make sure we're covered. It was actually quite helpful because you did most of it on your own anyway. So thanks for that, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. I mean, it's one thing to have lived through something and be like, hey, yeah, this happened and it's over. <laughs> you yep. know? So we have came to an end. Except the last important part, and it's next episode. This is a really long timpani. That was huge. How did you get into the fandom and a game? It's coming back. We're really going to bring the game back. It's just been on break. Huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's been quite some time since we've done... The game. I know. We'll do the game next episode. <laughs> we did one last episode. It was between me and Rue. Oh, oh I guess. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. I guess. By the way, we never announced who won that. That's between everyone in the room. So, I think <laughs> that's it. So, this has been Rue. This is Tugs. And Kuru. Say your name. And Sophie. And this has been For, For What, what it's, it's Worth. You still have to say the show name, even though we didn't cure you at all. Oh, darn it. It's For What It's Worth. <laughs> Jeez, sound a little excited. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. It's for what it's worth. There you go. <laughs>